Good evening, everyone. It is great to see you, and I know the visitors, we've welcomed you, but once again, a warm welcome to you. Um, when I was a young Christian, uh, one of the things that I helped me to understand better who God is was to understand his names that are the way he reveals himself in the Bible. Knowing the names of God and understanding how they're used give us, again, a greater revelation of who he is, and it helps, helps to deepen our walk in him. Now, last week, Ken, unbeknownst to him, for the second time in two years, sniped my sermon, <laughs> which was on the names of God, which is fine. I, I'm okay with that, Ken. I'm okay with that, because there are more names than you mentioned. Although, although, quite honestly, you did, you did gloss over this one briefly. But this evening, what I'm going to focus on is Jehovah Shalom, which is God is our peace. God is peace. Now, we certainly had a lot of uh, revelation last week on some of the other names of God. Je excuse me, Elohim, who is our creator God. Jehovah, who is the God who wants to have a relationship with us. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Rapha, the God that heals, etc. So, the reason I picked Jehovah Shalom is because we live in a crazy place here in Northern Virginia. We really do. I mean, if you think about life in Northern Virginia, you are bombarded with busyness, with deadlines, and, and angry bosses, and just a, a spirit over this place of power, because that's really kind of what Washington, D.C. is all about, is like grabbing for power. And so you have people always climbing the corporate ladder and pushing people down out of the way. And, and then you consider the news. I mean, look at what we're seeing nowadays. You've got North Korea, they're pointing their nukes at us. And, and then when you hearken back to what Francois said a couple years ago about seeing the missiles flying, and that makes you kind of get a little bit, you know, unnerved. Um, <laughs> exactly. And then you've got the terrible flooding in Texas, the prospect of Hurricane Irma roaring up the coast and, and giving us the same treatment that uh, Harvey brought to Texas, on and on. I don't know how the unsaved do it. I don't know how they live. I don't know how they even sleep at night. With all that goes on around here, I don't know how you could live in a state of peace. Now, to compare and contrast that, uh, my wife and I recently went to visit my oldest son, Jim, and his wife, Lauren. They live in a small town in Ohio. Uh, he's a school teacher there. And there is, no kidding, a piece over that place that is palpable and tangible. As you're approaching that town, you just feel the peace of God in the atmosphere. It is absolutely in the atmosphere there. And the reason I believe that's true is because it is a very heavily Christian population there. I mean, it's not just cultural Christians who say, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus, and then Lord knows what they do next. But there are many, many people there who just love the Lord, and the peace of God is over that place. And while as wonderful as it is to be in a place like that, where you just feel the peace of God just in the atmosphere, we know that that's just kind of an external thing. What we look for, what we have, is a peace that comes from within because of the indwelling Lord Jesus Christ. 
So today, I want to look a little bit at how peace in the Bible differs from peace in the world. And then we're going to look at how we kind of appropriate that peace, and then what do we do with it? So first, let's have a working definition of peace. The word peace, at least in the language of the scriptures, has an expanded meaning that's a little bit beyond what we usually typically think of as peace in the world today. Normally, we think of peace as being like the cessation of hostilities, um, a, 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 a mindset of tranquility, um, some things like that, you know, no more disturbances, no more fights, that sort of thing. That's kind of what the world sees as peace. But the word shalom in Hebrew actually carries an additional meaning. It, it includes all those, but it also means joy, peace, happiness, and prosperity. I kind of like that it did additional definition because there's so much more to it. That there's joy. And of course, we know that Jesus brings joy into our life. So that makes great sense that God is our peace includes a sense of joy. So to find where God reveals himself as God is our peace, uh, Jehovah Shalom, let's take a look at Judges chapter 6. And in a moment, we'll take a look down in verse 22. So there's a pattern in the book of Judges where Israel falls into sin. They fall away from the Lord. That sin brings about some sort of discipline or some other trouble. You know, in this case, the Midianites have invaded and are eating all the crops and, and they're making life miserable for the Israelites. So the Israelites then repent and God brings deliverance. That's a pattern we've seen over and over and over. You know, lather, rinse, repeat. That's what you see in the book of Judges. So now, in Judges 6, we have the familiar story of Gideon. And we know Clayton preached on Gideon a number of times in the last year or two. Um, he's a man who had pretty little regard for himself. He considered himself to be the least of the least in the tribe of Manasseh. So in the beginning of chapter 6, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus comes and visits him and declares him to be a mighty man of valor. And at first, Gideon didn't really believe that he was talking to the Lord. But now when we pick up the story beginning in verse 22, we read, Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, oh, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. When Gideon had that revelation that he was actually talking with God himself, he remembered what he'd heard probably growing up his whole life, that if you see the face of God, you will surely die. And so in his mind, he's saying, wow, I have seen the Lord. I'm a dead man. So at that point, the angel of the Lord immediately says to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So when the angel of the Lord, or Christ, says to Gideon, peace be to you. Do not fear. It's really more than just calming words that he needs at the moment. And let's face it, he needed some calming because he thought he was going to die. But really, the angel of the Lord is speaking prophetically over his life. He's imparting a spirit of peace to Gideon to prepare him for what he's about to embark on. He is about to tear down the altar of Baal. He's going to cut down the Asherah pole. And ultimately, later on, he's going to lead a little band of 300 against the entire Midianite army. So, we then see in verse 24, Gideon builds an altar there to the Lord and calls it, The Lord is Peace. 
and to this day it still stands at Oprah, which belongs to the Abyssalites. When Gideon builds that memorial there, it is be memorializing his revelation of God's peace. And he thought he was going to be a dead man. He thought that bolt of lightning was going to hit him or however it was going to happen. But when it didn't, and when the peace of God came over him, it was so powerful that he set up that altar so that it would be there for future generations. Just as we had memorial stones set up by the river, you know, when the, the Israelites crossed the river, it's the same thing. He set up this altar so that it would be a memorial for generations to come to remember that the Lord is peace. So in the same way that he met Jehovah Shalom in the midst of personal crisis and national crisis with the Midianites, we can meet him in the midst of our own personal turmoil. We, Gideon discovered that the way to obtain inner peace, despite what's going on around him, uh, in order to transform what he did, he had to transform the way he thought. He, ha he did this by knowing that the Lord was not only with him, but for him. He called him a mighty man of valor. And knowing the truth and aligning our thoughts with the truth is a powerful way to experience God's peace. Later on in chapter 7, when God tells Gideon that he's going to fight the Midianite army with just 300 men, he tells Gideon to arise and go against the Midianite camp because he was going to give them into Gideon's hands. And then God says, you know, if you're afraid, you know, go with your servant and listen to what the men in the camp are saying because it will strengthen you. So God gives him his peace despite the circumstances looking really dire. And he did this by giving him an insight into the minds of his enemies who actually were saying amongst themselves, because one of them had had a dream, a vision, that they were realizing that Gideon was coming to defeat them. And so once he had that, once he had that revelation that God was for him and that he was actually already preparing the minds of the enemy for defeat, that gave him the peace he needed and the strength he needed to lead the 300 into battle. So when we hear a story like that, it kind of starts to build a hunger for God's peace inside, doesn't it? The peace of God will reign even when you're in the face of overwhelming odds. But the peace of the world, as I've said, is based on external circumstances and not from that abiding relationship with the Lord. I mean, let's be honest. We can't spend the rest of our lives sitting on top of a mountain watching sunsets and sitting by a babbling brook and feeling the sun on our face and deep cleansing breaths of fresh air. That's not life in Northern Virginia, is it? It sounds good. Sounds good, but we, we just can't go there. Our reality is bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic, crying kids, wayward teenagers, you know, the threat of various kinds, you know. I, me? No, I have no idea. Hey, they may not be teenagers now, but they were. <laughs> they were. So how do we appropriate a lifestyle that's characterized by a perpetual state of peace regardless of what's going on around us? Well, one answer to that is found in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3, where we see, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When we take our mind off of our circumstances and fix our attention on Jesus, we can have that perfect peace. You know, sometimes I think that Peter 
prior to Pentecost is kind of like the poster child of how not to do things. Um, Andrew, there's a little graphic that I had Andrew whip up that I think this really kind of describes Peter's life. It says, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. I kind of think that's how Peter looked before the day of Pentecost because he was constantly trying very hard but not doing the right thing. So there's a great illustration in Peter's life, um, again, how not to do things. When he's in the boat, Jesus calls to him from out on the water, and in faith, he steps out of the boat, and he has that peace, and he has that faith to walk to Jesus on the water. And indeed, he starts taking those first couple steps on the water. But then he takes his focus off of Jesus, doesn't he? And what happens? He starts to sink when he sees the wind and the waves, and he cries out in fear, Lord, save me. He had good intentions, but his mind was not fixed on Jesus, and he ended up crying out in fear. It's really easy to fall back on our natural senses, isn't it? It's easy to see the wind and the waves and not keep our focus on Jesus. I mean, that's just reality. It's easy to do that. But when we realize just what peace we have from the Lord and we keep that laser focus on Him, we will remain in control regardless of what's going on around us. We will always have His peace when we keep our eyes focused on Him. In chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, we're introduced to the fruit of the Spirit that says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. The evidence of the Spirit reigning within us includes peace. A tree is known by its fruit. And we, as Christians, with that indwelling Spirit of God, produce a harvest of peace. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14 that we can draw on his peace at all times. In 14.26 of John, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he completes this in uh, John 16, 20, 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart because I have overcome the world. You know, it's interesting. When I think of trouble, it reminds me of Paul. I mean, you talk a man who was whipped 39 times by the Jews five times. He was beaten by a rod three times. He was stoned almost to death. He was shipwrecked. He was cast adrift in the sea for a day and a night. And yet, through all that, he is the one who wrote many, in fact, he wrote what? The vast majority of the epistles in the New Testament. And every one of those, many of which he penned from prison in Rome, 
He started out with essentially the very same greeting in these apostolic letters where he would say, grace and peace to you from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew peace regardless of all these trials and tribulations that he went through. And he kept pouring that into these churches around the world. He kept saying, grace and peace to you. The church often focuses, and rightfully so, on grace, but we can never forget the value of the peace that we get from the Lord. So we have one more scripture to look at briefly in this area before we move on, and that's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When you're anxious, God wants us to pray to Him. I mean, why would we do that? After all, He knows everything that's going on. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. Why pray? Prayer is an essential key to unlocking the blessings from heaven. He doesn't want us leaning on our own understanding, doing things in our own strength. He wants us to lean on Him. And when situations look bleak, we can have the peace of God because we know that prayer gives us access to the Father and that our faith, even if it's the faith of a mustard seed, is more than enough. God certainly moves without prayer, but our prayers are a catalyst that brings supernatural intervention into our natural world. And we rest in the knowledge that He's got this and that He will make a way. Verse 7 goes on to say, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guards it from what? Fear? Anxiety? Lack of faith? When I think of guarding something, it makes me think of mm, some sort of a battle, perhaps. Which then, you know, you follow that train of thought a little bit further, and it makes you think of Ephesians chapter 6 with the full armor of God. And in verse 15, we're told that we should, you know, put on as shoes for our feet the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And then I ask myself, why peace for my feet? Why not a breastplate of peace? After all, it's our hearts and minds that we want to have peace over. Why not a breastplate of peace or a helmet of peace? Well, I think metaphorically speaking, when our feet are shod with the gospel of peace, it allows us to take, you know, one step at a time over the sharp rocks and the broken glass that the enemy has scattered in our path to take, us, take our minds off of the Lord, to focus on what's in front of us, make it look bigger and badder than it possibly could be because he's taking our focus off of him. But when our, focus, when our feet are shod with the gospel of peace, we know that we can walk over whatever the enemy is putting in our path to reach the destiny and calling that God has on our life. In Isaiah chapter 9, there's a messianic prophecy that says that Jesus would be the prince of peace. He's the one that's able to defeat the spirit of chaos that the enemy wants to bring into our lives. That person, that prince of peace, dwells within us, as we all know. When we suffer due to chaos and anxiety in the world, we need to appropriate the Prince of Peace. We need to appropriate the peace that he has for us. You know, sometimes it's just busyness. And we can knock out busyness with something as simple as a to-do list. And you just work your way down the list and bite the elephant one bite at a time and eventually you get through all that's in front of you. 
But when we're talking about chaos, we're talking about something a little bit different. That's where you're getting hit on all sides. You know, it's like you're starting to make a little bit of progress here, and then you get hit by something else and something else. And next thing you know, fear and doubt and worry and anxiety all start to creep in again. And you know that the enemy's at work at you. He is just messing with you and bringing a spirit of chaos against you. But because of our position in Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places. And we realize that that chaos is under our feet. So we need to declare his peace over our family, over our homes, our finances. Any area where we are feeling that, that, that just attack of the enemy, that chaos that comes in, just pray God's peace over that area. Another practical thing to do is to write out scriptures. Either keep them on little note cards, put them in your smartphone, whatever. And just pull them out and read them whenever you're starting to feel anxious. And you're just basically speaking in the opposite spirit of what's coming at you. And when you do that, the enemy flees. So, finding this peace and this rest, restful, peaceful state, regardless of the craziness that's going around us, is really, frankly, amazing. It's needed. It's part of what sets us apart from the rest of the world. But, like Lon Solomon always says over at McLean Bible, so what? Real, lasting peace comes from God. And like most of what he gives to us, it's not just for us. For example, if he blesses us with finances, we're not supposed to hoard it. That's not his expectation. He expectations that, and he will tell us how, to use them in some way for kingdom purposes. Maybe there's somebody who needs money. I remember Mark Malloy, and when he gave away the money, and it was kind of a pay-it-forward thing, and there was story after story of how God used that in a mighty way. That was just an example of kingdom purposes for the finances that God has blessed us with. So he doesn't want us to take it in, hold it to ourselves, and become almost like a, a human dead sea where everything flows in and nothing flows out. We are supposed to give away the peace that God has given to us. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 10 where we see Jesus sending out his disciples to preach the kingdom of God. So Beginning at verse 7, going on through 13, we read, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver, copper uh, in your money belts, nor a bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now, Whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. In a parallel story, we see in Luke 10:5, Jesus tells his disciples, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. How do we do this? How do we extend the peace of God to a, to a household? Well, we know from Luke 17, of course, that the kingdom of God is within us. Clayton's preached that many, many times. Um, indeed, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we carry that kingdom peace within us. When we enter our, a house, a place of work, a grocery store, anywhere, we carry within us the kingdom of God. We carry within us righteousness and peace. 
When we declare peace over a home or a region, we are releasing the peace of God that has been given to us. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we are called to release his presence, his peace, because it will change the very atmosphere around us. Freely you have received, freely give. When we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, what did we receive? Well, you received the Spirit of Jesus. So we carry that presence of the kingdom within us. So you think about the kingdom of heaven, what must the atmosphere in heaven be? got to be peace. It's got to be the most peaceful atmosphere you can possibly imagine. In our world, the hallmark of peace is the absence of conflict. In heaven, it's the presence of the Lord. That's peace. So when he instructed his disciples, and through their example to us, to release peace in a household, he's literally telling us to release the very atmosphere of heaven into that household by declaring peace over it. I think I've shared this with you before, but when I go to work in the morning, as I'm walking from the parking garage into the office, I declare peace over that place that day. I declare that God will give me favor among the people that I work for, and it's my desire to shift the atmosphere in that place on a daily basis. I want it to bring peace in all its fullness, whether it's an absence of strife or an abundance of prosperity for the company, whatever it is, I want God's peace to rest on that place. Now, I don't want to skip over the, the weird hard part, but the second half of Matthew 10, 13, Jesus said, well, if the people in the house don't actually want or appreciate that peace when it's released, take it back. That seems a little bit harsh, doesn't it? To just kind of take it back. But the reality is, when somebody rejects the Lord. When someone rejects the gospel that you're giving, it, 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 it's almost like, you know, the pearls before swine thing, where you simply take it back, and you don't continue to ram it down their throats. You know that you've scattered seed. Someone else will come along and water it, and God will bring the increase. So you rest in that knowledge, and you don't worry about the fact that, that you're not, you know, seeing people saved at that moment, or people are rejecting the gospel. You simply take your peace back and recognize that down the line, something else will come into their lives and we trust that the Lord will bring them to a, a saving knowledge of Him at that point. So, let's take a look at one more scripture. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. At this point, Jesus has been crucified and the disciples are huddled together in the upper room. And it says in verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So at that moment, what is he doing? He's modeling for them one more time what he told them to do in Matthew chapter 10. He is releasing an atmosphere of peace in that household, isn't he? It goes on to say, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw it was the Lord. They needed some peace right about then. I mean, they were basically hiding in that house for fear of the Jews, and they'd just seen the Lord crucified and buried. Now he's resurrected, but my goodness, how did he get through that locked door? How did he, you know, get into the room? 
they had been wondering, are they hallucinating? Was it, a, was it his ghost? No, it was him. They saw the hand prints. They saw the hole in his side. They knew it was him, and they needed that release of peace in the atmosphere. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So, how does this continue to apply to us? Everything in the life of Jesus had been leading up to this moment. His death, burial, and resurrection. Knowing who he is, watching him perform countless miracles, remembering the words that, that they would do greater miracles than they had seen, then watching him die and now resurrected, all these thoughts are swirling around in their heads. So what comes next is very important. We all know the Great Commission, right? But this is another time where Jesus commissions his disciples and all of us who believe in him with these next words. He says, Jesus said to them again, this is verse 21, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We need God's peace to carry out that commissioning that he has given to us. Maintaining that peace within us is an act of faith in the one who has given us that peace. And it's sealed by what happens next in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It's that presence, that indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that provides that sense of peace in our lives. He is the ultimate defense against the wind and the waves that buffet us in the little boat we call life in this sea that we're living. In this commissioning that he gave to his disciples, it was punctuated with the release of peace a second time. Just to make sure that we didn't miss that point and to make sure we would appreciate its importance in our ministry to the world. He gave us his peace so that we could give it away to others. And I trust that you will start developing a desire to release that peace wherever you go. In a moment, we're going to close with a prayer for God's peace to fill you and to be released wherever you go. But before we do that, there's one more thing. For some of you here, this whole idea of peace might be a little bit crazy, a little bit foreign. The truth is you are missing a fundamental peace that every believer in Jesus has, and that is peace with God. Christ's atonement on the cross is the basis of our peace with God. Before anyone could be reconciled to God, somebody had to pay for the price of sin, and that price of sin is death. Jesus' shed blood on the cross fulfilled that requirement. Isaiah 53.5 says that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. If you don't know Jesus, and you have never accepted the free gift of salvation that he makes available to each one of us, you've never experienced his peace. Instead, you've probably only experienced those fleeting examples of peace as the world knows peace, the absence of strife. Perhaps there are situations in your life that are keeping you up at night. Maybe you don't know the one who says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. If that's you, I would like to invite you to know him tonight. It's time for those shackles of fear and shame and guilt to drop off of you forever. I'm going to invite you to say a simple prayer with me. 
So if we could all stand for just a moment with your heads bowed and your eyes closed before holy God. If you want to receive the gift of salvation and obtain the peace of God that comes through relationship with him, pray with me. Lord Jesus, I need your peace. I ask for your forgiveness of my sins. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe that you died and rose again in payment for my sins. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live my life for you. Help me to understand your grace, your mercy, and to walk in your peace. I thank you, Lord. Amen.